Hi, and welcome to Tea and Toast, Talking Birth. My name's Frances, and I am the host for this episode. I'm a qualified midwife, and I more recently moved into midwifery academia. I've got my co-host with me today, so I've got Helen. Good morning. Hello, Helen. And I've got Julie. Hi there. Hi, Julie. So this podcast aims to discuss and to muse a different birth topic in each episode with the hosts, and then on some episodes with special guests contributing towards our conversation. We don't intend any of these discussions to act as medical advice, and all of the considerations are merely our own thoughts and feelings on that particular subject, utilising our collective experience and knowledge. Our aim is to bring together the wider community of birth, combining the clinical experience with the felt experience, in a hope to demystify pregnancy and birth and to share information. We've set up social media accounts, um, so if you have any thoughts or comments or suggestions, um, that would be really welcome. And you can find us on Instagram at Tea and Toast Talking Birth or on Twitter at birth underscore tea. So moving on to the topic for this episode. As a response to the COVID-19 pandemic, many NHS trusts are centralising and streamlining their maternity services. In some cases, this has included the cancellation or suspension of home birth services, and often the temporary closure of midwifery-led units, so that births can be centralised within larger obstetric units. One of the effects of this reduction in options for women seems to be an increasing interest in the idea of unassisted childbirth, or free birthing. This is when a woman intentionally chooses to give birth without a midwife or a doctor present at the birth. In some cases, this also encompasses unassisted pregnancy, where a woman chooses to have no antenatal or postnatal care. This is a slightly different thing um, from something that midwives would call a BBA, which is a birth before arrival. And that is where a woman has intended to seek out a healthcare professional to look after her during her birth, but hasn't managed to get to wherever she's going in time or hasn't managed to get a practitioner to her in time and the baby's born before they get there. That's a slightly different thing. Um, Unassisted birth and unassisted pregnancy are perfectly legal within the UK and legitimate. And there have always been a number of women who choose this, though this number does seem to be very small. It's hard to give exact numbers because there isn't any mechanism for collecting this data at the moment. Um, But what does seem likely is that the numbers have been gradually increasing over the last few years and that this is likely to be exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So in light of this, we thought it might be interesting to have a chat about why women might be choosing to free birth and what the implications of that are. So I guess that is the big question in in this debate, really, is why would women choose if they have the option, and in this country, if they have the option for free to access a healthcare professional for their birth, why on earth might women choose not to do that? Um, What do you think about that, Helen? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point and one of the reasons why we chose it and you've rightly identified is the COVID pandemic, which would highlight that there's an anxiety about going into hospital because of the risk of the coronavirus. And that's why it might be more likely to be increased. And certainly I'm sure that women, well, I know for a fact that women do not want the midwives coming into their house after they've been exposed into the hospital environment. Um, So I can see why it might be on the increase. But again, we won't have any exact numbers because it's not something we collate or collect, which is a shame, really, because it would be really interesting to to look at that and to see if it rises during this um, pandemic. Um, I think historically, the reason for the free birth movement is, um, well, I think there's a few reasons, really, which I'm sure we'll discuss more. But I think one of the main reasons is that women... um, 
fear the medical intervention of childbirth that the hospital sometimes poses. Um, and that could be just because um, they've historically they've been taught that or culturally they've been taught that. Or it could be that they've had an experience. So they've had an experience in the hospital and they don't want to repeat that experience. So that needs delving into a little bit more. So we need to look really about what the culture is and also what the experience of women is and how we can negate that. Um, Because we also need to discuss really what's the problem with free birthing. And Julie, what do you think is an issue with free birthing? Well, I think one of the issues with free birthing that we all worry about professionally is the outcomes for the mother and baby, because we know that the care that we give helps to improve those outcomes. And having worked in countries where there are large amounts of women uh, in developing countries where I've worked in large amounts of women that cannot access any medical or midwifery care and seeing some of the outcomes out there it it makes you feel really sad when you know that midwives really can make a difference to women's outcomes so I think it's really difficult when you've got service provision in a country that of you know, in our country, you would think that we've got a really good service provision. And it saddens me to think that there are a small amount of women that don't want to take up that that service of a, of a midwife, at least. I absolutely get the um, ideas of over-medicalisation, because we've talked about it before. We, we worry that, that any hospital birth women might perceive this as, as that medicalised view and, and don't want to enter into that. But I, I just overall I feel really quite sad because I've always wanted to care for women in the way that they want to do it in the way that they want to give birth and I I feel sad that um, that women don't even want to have a a buddy with them as in a a midwife buddy that's got that professional knowledge to watch for when things might go wrong. I interestingly a few years ago did some research myself unfortunately I didn't get it published but um, we've got a really active doula service locally um, to uh, where we are and this doula service is a particularly interesting one because it's it's um, a voluntary organization that that have really clear education and boundaries for the doulas and they care for vulnerable women in society and just there as a as a friend and support throughout their pregnancy and when I did this research essentially finding out what midwives thought about that particular type of doula service and what the doulas felt and what the women felt and the overarching phrase that I kept hearing was that women thought that, that having a doula had somebody on their side and again, that saddened me a bit because I've always felt as though as a midwife, I'm on the side of the woman. But yeah, to hear yeah. that they, they would look to somebody else to be on their side, but even that there are sides to it. You know, yeah. for me, I think we're all in it together. We all want you to have a great birth or the best birth that your body is allowing you to have and to have a baby that you can enjoy and feel uh, well enough to to take on the the first days of motherhood and I think that we sort of um that choose to free birth or unassisted birth are often looked upon as quite radical Mm. um I think a lot of the reason for that is because they 
look upon the medical profession as having a hidden agenda, and that's including midwives. And there is no doubt about it. I mean, we've discussed this in previous podcasts that we are governed by um, policies, procedures, uh, registration and things like that. However, the point is, Julie, that you're you're making really eloquently is that we are still on their side and that we are still um, looking to the side of the women. And actually, women do have choices in informed choices. And I think that's probably the bit that gets missing. Sorry. You're right, absolutely. But you're right to say about the choice because that is the agenda that's the biggest part of what our government is saying our midwifery service should and be, think, providing choice. Yeah, what I think is actually... The setup for the beginning of this this podcast has been a slight um, it, it's it's a bit of a trick really because what we're saying is that there's an increased interest in free birth, but that is at a time when other options are being removed, and so it makes sense that these aren't women who would normally choose a free birth, but they're women who feel that if they cannot have their home birth with a midwife or they can't go to a birth centre, then their next best option, rather than go to an obstetric unit, is to be at home and free birth on their own. And that is a slightly different thing from a woman who chooses free birth at other times. So that is a different thing from a woman who has the option of a home birth with a midwife or to go to a birth centre. So this is it is a slightly different situation and you're looking at a slightly different thing because we know that women should all be offered choices. Um, There are four different options for place of birth, which is home birth, a freestanding midwifery led unit and alongside midwifery led unit and an obstetric unit. And our guiding um, policy says that all women should be offered all four of those options. Now, we know perfectly well that that very, very rarely happens. But at the moment, that's probably happening even less. So it's a slightly different setup, isn't it? It is a different thing. But it's interesting. There's very, very little research evidence in this area. So maybe it's a shame, Julie, you didn't manage to get yours published um but well that was about doulas really but it was just that element that stood out for me but what there is um and out there and thinking particularly of the work of claire feely who has looked at the idea of free birthing um is that that strand comes through really strongly that, that you were saying that women feel midwives are not on their side that they don't feel um that midwives can help them get the birth they want or are helping to work um, in a, a, a quiet, calm environment with no clinical interruptions and one that enhances the physiology of labour, which you'd think it should be what we're trying to work for. But women obviously don't always feel like that is they can get that with a midwife. And then the other thing I think we have to think about as midwives is our reaction to women um, if they say they're going to free birth, because again, that comes through strongly in Claire Feely's research, is that what if women mention that they're thinking about free birth they get a very very negative reaction from midwives they get a lot of conflict they get a lot of opposition um and that i would imagine probably prompts them even further to disengage with the services that isn't going to make them feel like we're on their side and we're working with them to achieve what they want it's going to make them feel like we're you know effectively pressuring them towards the kind of birth we think they should have and it may be yeah um, i think uh, you know that that we talk about the idea of choice, but maybe the choice we're offering is from a selected list of choices. And what happens if the woman wants a choice that's not on that menu that we're offering? And I think Julie wants to say something about this. I well, just uh, remember um, a re-exam question that I posed for the students, and there was there were students quite a way on in their course in the program. And I posed this free birthing dilemma as a question. 
in this exam and wanting them to think about how it was the question was essentially that a woman has said at the first booking interview that she wants this and that and if she doesn't get what she feels she wants through this pregnancy and the and, at the birth she will free birth and I expected all of the answers to come through saying, oh, well, we can talk to her at the booking to say we're on her side, work with her, make no decisions throughout the pregnancy, and then just attend her at home when she goes into labour and play it by ear and then just see how things go because we don't necessarily have to force her into doing things. And I must admit, I was quite shocked when many of the answers came back from the students, which I think reflected what you've been talking about about the the, the midwives in in practice that work with them the students said she must be told she cannot do this oh, I was really quite shocked at that that's what I was just thinking about is that as a, a relatively new educator in in midwifery um it's really struck home to me like that, that we are midwives and that we're promoting normality and we're working with um women um even more and sometimes and I think again we've discussed this in previous podcasts that the culture of safety becomes overridden in a midwife's mind and that actually we when they're out in practice they have fear that they're going to get take responsibility if something goes wrong and actually that is not the stance um I should just probably say the position of midwives. We work within the code of conduct and we do have um, a professional duty to prioritise people and preserve safety. But if a woman is choosing, it is not our responsibility for the outcome of what happens at that birth if she's chosen to do that. So I just think it's really important that we understand that as midwives, we have a duty to work with that woman to ensure that she's informed of the best option or of the safest options available to her. But we still, we're not ultimately responsible for that decision she makes so long as we've proved an evidence that we've given her that information. Yes, that's absolutely yeah. right, Helen. I absolutely agree. We, As midwives, we're constantly challenged about balancing that safety and, and risk. And quite often, we're so risk-based that we, we take on these ideas in, in the way and sometimes sends us off as a, a tangent. But what we have to remember, and I think is something that Claire Feely sort of discovered, was that women have their own autonomy and their own agency. And they often know their bodies and seem to instinctively know whether they're going to be safe. And they are able to balance their own risks. So it does seem a challenge all the time about our perception of risk and the woman's perception of risk and about trying to meet in between. Um, yeah, and we're not um, immune, are we, to the um, press? And, and we know that I've just said about sort of people um, feeling that free birth movement is quite radical. And that's, that's exacerbated by um, social media. That's exacerbated by the, the media as a whole in that the negative stories, and there are some negative stories about free birthing out there, um, are highlighted and um, spoken about because it's such a catastrophic consequence at the end of it. Whereas um, perhaps if it was a normal case, it wouldn't be reported, would it? Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd like to come back to something else you said in there, Helen, which was about um, the idea of informed choice. And this obviously underpins what we do as practitioners. And we are in a difficult position with this one because we can't give women information to make an informed choice because the information doesn't exist. We don't know yeah. 
what outcomes yeah. are like for free birthing because we don't have that data. So when we're telling women that this is unsafe, you would be safer with a midwife, we don't actually have the evidence to back that up. So we can't. And, and, it, and it does come down to the woman's own choice and autonomy. And we can say that these are the circumstances that we are anticipating. This is the help we could offer in those circumstances. But we can't say definitively to the women it would be safer for you to do this or to do that because we just don't know is the answer to that question. And if you look at the isolated cases, like you say, that make the media, you can go, well, yes, birth goes wrong at home. Birth goes wrong if you're unattended. But that isn't data. That is just stories. And it doesn't prove anything because equally there are stories about birth going wrong in other settings as well. So we don't have the data and therefore we can't give women information to make an informed choice on this one because the information just doesn't exist. And that, I think, puts us in quite a difficult position as midwives in terms of knowing what is best to, to say to the women. That's right. And I think any data in relation to that would be difficult to collect oh, anyway. Because I know we've talked, we've talked already about how babies are born at home before attendance. We, As midwives, we know that BBA, that born before attendance. And who's to say whether it was a free birth or a birth that just seemed to happen all of a sudden because we know birth can work like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're absolutely right, Julie. I think, you know, we've possibly all probably turned up at a BBA and we thought, well, actually, I don't think this woman probably had any intention of calling anyone anyway. And, you know, but how can we, we can't prove that. So then the data's skewed anyway. So it's very And difficult. in addition to which, the numbers are so small that you'd never get meaningful statistical yeah. significance in it anyway. So, you know, it, it would be a really difficult thing to study so you could get definitive outcomes. You think how hard it's been to get studies that get definitive outcomes about home birth, you know, because the numbers are small and it's taken a long time and really big studies. It, it would be virtually impossible. So that makes it much more difficult, I think. I think it would look negative as well if we were trying to study such a minority thing. It would look as though we were almost trying to unpick it and take Maybe control so. of it, yeah. which we don't yeah. know. And because the whole point is that this is a, a sphere of birth where midwives aren't in control and the people who are in control are, are the women, which is how it should be everywhere. But, you know. And I, I think, you know, no one who would, if, if a woman had a free birth and she had, I don't know, a partner there or a doula there, then they cannot act in the capacity as birth attendant. They can just be there as support. And I think for me, that's the key issue is that as midwives, we are there to promote and support the women, but we are there to recognise deviations from the normal. And that's where we would come in as a, not as a, as a, a wraparound care that if we felt that this was not going as we'd anticipate then hopefully we could step in and support and give that woman more choices as to what we felt she needed to do at that point as we would do at a home confinement and etc or in the hospital yeah. even so I think you know we can't I was thinking when you were saying that, Francis, we have no evidence. And I was thinking, well, you know, we know that where birth is unattended in um, third world countries, that there is more mortality and morbidity, but they are not comparable in terms of our country and our society and the way we are and the care that we have given antenatally. And so it, it is a very difficult one. But I think for me, as a midwife, um, even if someone told me she wanted to free birth, um, I would probably still be a little bit alarmed of the safety aspect of the fact that I could not um, 
provide that care if something was to be a deviation from the normal and that's what I'd want to support the woman with is to ensure that there was recognition of that yeah I think one of the biggest worries that I would have is if there was somebody else between the woman and the midwife trying to have an influence and whether that influence was a negative influence so I you know I have heard of midwives attending home births where there's been a party that is in the middle and it has been uh, evident that that person has said to the midwife, no, the woman doesn't want you in. But it's not the woman saying that, it's this other party in the middle. And if a third person has influence over that woman, then that worries me more because I um, would feel that every, every woman that's birthing is a vulnerable woman. And we always want to protect yeah the you know vulnerable that vulnerability and so if if a a midwife is being um not allowed to be able to have any um presence by somebody else then to me that's a third party and that is not quite the same as the woman and the midwife making those decisions absolutely and that's the key to where the midwife has to come in to look at the rationale for why this woman is exploring the option of a a free birth and and that's where our role is vitally important it'd be really interesting to have a student here as well to get their opinion yeah I think um this goes back to the relationship building thing doesn't it clearly um so and it, it comes back to what Julie was saying about what she's heard from the students in exams about well we we just need to make these women do this this and this and that is not going to help our relationship building because what we don't want to be doing is closing doors if you've got a woman who's contemplating free birth you know she doesn't have to explain to us she doesn't have to justify to us why she wants to do that because it's her choice but what's really important is to keep these lines of communication open and go well what can we do to support you in this you know are there circumstances um you know, are there things we could do that would make our presence acceptable to you? Um, yeah, absolutely. Can we help you achieve your, your birth plan? Um, what about if we came along and we sat in a different room and you called us in if you needed us? And this makes a lot of midwives very uncomfortable. And I know certainly um, when supervision of midwives still existed, we had some very, very difficult discussions around questions about well what happens if you've got a woman who says she wants a midwife there but the midwife has to sit outside in her car um, just to be available if something goes wrong and that leads us into quite difficult areas I think and a lot of midwives get very uncomfortable with that idea but equally if at the end of the day our goal is to say well we want to reduce the risk and provide the service at the level that the woman wants it then Surely doing that is better than just disengaging completely and washing our hands of this woman and going, well, it's, you know, you decided this, so it's on your head kind of thing. Um, And again, I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier, Helen, about practicing defensively and worrying about our own registrations. And, you know, if I was that midwife sat outside waiting to be called in and then if she called me in and everything had gone wrong, what, where would I stand? And it would be a really difficult position. But we have to respect the women's autonomy in this and, and their own right to make choices which are not what we would choose necessarily, but are still legitimate choices for them to make. And it, it is a really difficult space. And I read an, an interesting fact. I can't actually remember where I read it, but it was um, someone said, and this is absolutely true, no woman is going into birth to have no, something absolutely. go wrong. 
most women are going in to intend to have the best experience they can. And that is often what, well, it is ultimately why a woman would choose to free birth is because they're looking for the best option that's available for them at that time. She's not considering, oh, you know, she's trusting in her own body and thinking, you know, I can do this and I can have my baby and I'll have it in a nice um, way that feels right for me and whoever's with her at the time. And, you know, it's horrific in any circumstance if something goes wrong, whether that be at hospital or that be free birth or that be at home. But it does open up lots of floodgates for blame. And, and, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you Google free birth, the first articles I can guarantee you that will be negative instances Mm. of, of free birth, which immediately, if you're not someone who is a risk taker or you risk averse, then you're instantly going to think this is not an option for me, you know, because there's too many risks involved in it. And it's about, it's about looking at risk, isn't it? It's about how people perceive risk and perceive childbirth. And it's going right back culturally to how we allow women to birth and to grow babies and to uh, birth their own babies. Yes, I, I think we, we shouldn't steer away from research like we were trying to say earlier, you couldn't do research, but we do really need to sort of log all of these happenings in some way, because what I suspect would emerge were some really powerful, good stories, and it would inform midwifery practice about how well women can actually do all alone mm. in birth. You know, we've we've had women giving birth for centuries, well, thousands of years, and it's only recently that we've invented medicine and midwives. So, you know, let's gather some of that and celebrate some of that ability and be able to reflect that back into the whole pot of this, this I story. Agree with yeah, that. I love yeah. that. And I think it's um it's interesting because kind of something you've you've kind of alluded to there, Julie, is that we make an assumption that as midwives, we make birth safer and we make birth better. But we don't really have evidence to back that up either. And I'm not trying to do myself out of a job here. But I want to quote um, Liz Nightingale, who's an independent midwives, and once provoked a really interesting debate when she was saying midwives are an unevaluated intervention in birth. There's never been a study Mm. to look at whether or not our presence is beneficial. And yeah, absolutely. You look at third world countries or lower resourced countries um, and midwifery and birth services can make a dramatic difference. But you can't dissociate it from the fact that anywhere um, that women are oppressed and powerless, they will suffer. And it isn't just about a lack of services. It's also about economics. It's about gender oppression. It's about nutrition. It's about politics. You know, you can't pick out midwifery and go, midwifery is the thing that saves women, because we don't know that it is. Absolutely. Because when I've worked, particularly like I'm thinking about Bangladesh, and they're the developing midwives, brand new. Bangladesh hasn't had midwifery, and they are now trying to promote them. They're trying to grow these midwives from nothing. They don't have midwives teaching other midwives. So they are purely learning the mechanism of labour and what they can do to save lives. And then they go out into villages and practice quite independently based on the very basics that we understand as as midwifery care but what is emerging is that it's it's almost more about the education of people into clean birth um being able to be free and move about and have nobody tell anybody what to do and stopping 
ancient um, practices that are recognised to be um, detrimental. So manipulating a uterus incorrectly and, and all kinds of things such as that. But allowing birth to happen in its natural format with a clean environment and, and being able to understand a newborn's uh, initiation into the world in a in a in a clean environment again that that keeps the mother and the baby together. So a lot of that that's happening out there really is just reflecting that pure bit of where a midwife guides pure normality, just guides it through and doesn't interfere. When I was a student, um, there was two things that really stuck out um, that a mentor once said to me. And one thing was when I was very early in my training days. She went, women just don't need us, really. They could give birth on their own. And I was like, oh, oh what am I doing this job for? Like, I didn't realise. And that, that's become really, really clear as time's gone on that, um, you know, actually it's all about the knowledge that people have. And another thing that someone once said to me was, you know, if you can take away the fear from women, if you can take away all the inherent education that they've had, all the family um family society socialization and those kind of things and you've just got a pure woman like what you just said the chances are she would be instinctual and birth her own baby very naturally it's often everything that goes with it that stops that process happening hormones again and that's exactly what the lancet series that promotes midwifery and it says midwives are right to be there but it is absolutely mapping it out in that pure form that we're there as a guide as an intelligent person that can understand the best ways of doing that natural process rather and than I don't interfering think that we should yeah. be shying away also from acknowledging that the maternity services we offer can cause harm and does cause harm so you can have strong confident physically healthy women going becoming pregnant entering the maternity services and coming out at the other end physically damaged psychologically damaged that's not what we're setting out to do but we have to acknowledge that sometimes that is the byproduct of what happens within our maternity services and so maybe if women are choosing not to go through that path they might well have very good reasons for that you know that's a really good point Francis and I, I absolutely it's what is harm you know harm to someone might be actually having a cesarean section harm to somebody might be the trauma they felt when everybody traipsed in the room to help with an instrumental delivery who are we to say what that that is and it, it's in in our culture and society you know we don't put a lot of um credence on people's after experience of the birth and actually the birth partner that is there is often very traumatized by what happened as well because they're observing it from a distant Mm. view and I think Mm. I think you're absolutely right we need to have more conversations about that to let it out into society so it's disgusting I think there's a real tendency and I suspect we've all heard it said and wished we hadn't to kind of go with that very narrow view of as long as you've gone home with a healthy baby, you've had a successful birth. And I'm using my air quotes around the word successful here. As maternity mm-hmm. services, that tends to be how we measure what a successful birth looks like. But that doesn't 
even remotely begin to cover a whole range of um, the woman's both physical and psychological experiences. And then for women to get told, well, at least you've got a healthy baby at the end of it, is incredibly dismissive and incredibly harmful. Mm -hmm. And we aren't looking at this holistically, I don't think. I think we've got far more work to do here in terms of considering Mm -hmm. it's not... A nice, a, a good, a positive birth experience, and we seem to be going back to podcast one here, but um, is not an optional extra. It's not a, not a thing that would be nice to have, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't happen because it is so important for women going on into their parenthood path, isn't it? It's It, it can make such a difference to their experience, not just of early parenthood, but the whole run of parenthood, really. Mm, absolutely. And I wonder whether we might come full circle in our discussion where we started off thinking about the pandemic and how that has made women um, be at home and giving birth. I wonder whether we may be able to gather up information that has demonstrated that these women have been able to show everything that we're talking about and they've had success uh, in outside of our current model of um, a, a dominated hospital birth and whether all of this pandemic, this something might come out from this in relation to um, women's ability and it might prove Well, I think you're absolutely right, Julie, because I think um, even just the provision of care that we've been providing is different in this pandemic. Um, We're not doing so much face-to-face, we're not doing so much contact um, and women are having time at home to connect with their babies and to have that sort of fourth trimester that we talk about where they're not they're not interfered and they're isolated at home with their babies. And that can bring negatives because there can be an increase in perinatal mental health because of the isolation. But I think there may be positives from that as well that we can take. I'd be really interested Mm, to see if we can develop this into some kind of, I know that we have to have pathways and guidance. So I'm thinking about some kind of pathways for a lighter touch maternity services for women for whom they think that would be more appropriate. So as an alternative to women just disengaging, Mm. can we offer them something different something which isn't so risk-centered if they've said this isn't what I'm interested in I don't want that model that just focuses on risk is there something else we can develop and something else we can offer that that has maybe less contact if the women don't want it or you know less observation in the birth if women don't want that I'm I'm Cynic in me wants to say midwifery-led care, I know, Francis. but it's not quite, because a lot of midwifery-led care is still very prescriptive. We still have our 15-minute yeah. auscultation yeah. of the fetal heart. We still have our set schedule of antenatal yeah. appointments. And I'm not saying that we should be promoting this for women, um, because I do think that a lot of our care is evidence-based and it's beneficial. But I do think there should be that provision there for an alternative that isn't just going, right, how can we push women yeah. down the path we want them to go down? I've talked to students about the potential for what a term I've coined as options-led care, where they're guided by understanding what might happen when this has happened to them. So if this happens, then it might go that way or it might go that way. So what do you want to do? It's I love that. You know them books you used to have when you were little, adventure books, and you could choose your pathway dependent on what, right. <laughs> what happened. That's what we should be like, but a proper yeah. informal. Well, that's, that's what I've thought, because when you talk about midwifery-led care or consultant-led care, that is setting up a professional in both instances to lead yes. the care. Instead of, we talk about women-centred care, but we're still going to lead it. 
So what's that about? So I've, I've sort of dreamt up this thing about let's be led by their options, be all together, see what's happening, and let that take the lead. Oh, but um, really I did put that out once. I love that. <laughs> I think we should write that book and, and frame it. Definitely. <laughs> like you choose your well, pathway. That's a really nice way to kind of to conclude this and wrap this up a little bit because what we're thinking about here, rather than just complaining about how things are or mulling it over, we are actually, look, look at us coming up with some alternatives to see what might work. And, I, you know, it's not yeah. that these are going to solve all problems for all women, but I think there needs to be more flexibility of thinking in maternity care and more understanding that, you know, that women absolutely are not just at the centre of care, but they are the leaders of their own journey and, and we need to respect that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and go back to culture of midwifery. Or I think every podcast we do will end up going back to culture of birth, really, and how we um, perceive it as a society. Um, so that, that that's what I always think is ultimately it's how stuff is passed on, isn't it? And women need to own their birth. Well, that's a lovely note to end on, Helen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you brilliant. for listening. And We'll speak to you again next month, hopefully. If you've got any feedback, please get in touch with us via social media. We'd love to know what you think or any suggestions for future episodes, things you'd like us to discuss, then just get in touch. Okay. Love to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Bye.